Amen. There is one way to be saved, and it is through Jesus Christ. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, serving with your voices today. It is a blessing to have each of you with us today, and I will say this has been a very crazy week. There have been a lot of things that have been going on. I'd uh, actually like to start just by taking a moment and expressing appreciation to those who serve to keep our community safe. Obviously, this past Wednesday, we remembered those who gave of themselves in the September 11th attacks of 2001. I remember living in Colorado when that took place, and in a few short moments, the world around us changed drastically. Our nation suddenly became aware of the terroristic threats that existed uh, already in other parts of the world. We suddenly felt vulnerable, and we suddenly realized the value of one nation, one nation coming together as a united nation. In the days that followed, I saw a nation that was no longer divided by political discord. We saw a nation that even realized the value of prayer as people suddenly began to cry out to God once more. Statistically, a higher percentage of people attended church that following Sunday than any Sunday since the end of World War II. Suddenly, we needed God. Of course, most of you probably know that on September 10th, 2001, we needed God just as much as we did on September 11th. In the years since, the political divide has returned. God has taken a back seat, and the vulnerability all still remains. Even those who were viewed as heroes in the aftermath of September 11th, law enforcement, paramedics, uh, soldiers, they are less favored today than they were then. But it is not too late for our nation. God is still in control, and he can transform us back into one united nation. My prayer is that it doesn't take another crisis like September 11th to make that happen. My prayer is that revival will take place and we will once again be drawn to him. When that happens, many things will change. Let me tell you the story of one family that experienced this firsthand. When an individual or a couple chooses to surrender their lives to Christ and experience revival, what kind of change can that make? Yesterday, Diane Kelly died of a sudden heart attack. While sitting in the hospital room with Bruce yesterday, I was reminded of their story. After a little more than 15 years of marriage, their second daughter was diagnosed with a significant heart ailment. She was only about a year old at the time, and the doctors told her that she would definitely need to have surgery, told them that she would definitely need to have surgery by the age of five. The family knew the risks that such a surgery would include, but they also recognized that if they did not do so, she would lose her life anyways. Her heart could stop, though, in the surgery. It would potentially be devastating for the family. Bruce shared that in that moment, he wondered how anything good could come out of a little girl having to go through such significant procedures. By the way, God would rescue their daughter and the surgery would not take her life, but God would absolutely use this potentially negative thing for something amazing. 
It was during this time that Bruce and Diane began to seek the Lord. They had a Catholic background and had never truly called upon the name of the Lord. But sometimes a crisis will make you do crazy things. And they cried out for help. Bruce and Diane both gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. Not long after that, their parents would surrender their lives to Christ. Eventually, as we stand here today, five generations of a family have surrendered their lives to Christ, all because a husband and wife, a mother and father, experienced revival in their hearts. God turned something that seems so negative into something amazing. And today we celebrate that. Bruce, we are so sorry for the loss of Diane, but we celebrate the peace that your family has today knowing that she is with the Lord. Thank you for allowing me to share that this morning as well. And thank you for sharing it yesterday in the hospital. Whether it is in crisis or in the everyday, ordinary life of the individual, God desires that people would seek him out. And when that happens, situations change. I remember hearing many years ago a great man, his name is Dr. Norman Wilson. He was talking about what happens when true revival takes place in a town. He talked about peace and integrity being restored. He talked about repentance and restitution taking place. He talked about drunks sobering up. He talked about families finding restoration. Can you imagine what it would look like if that happened just in Clemson, South Carolina? What would the police do with nobody to arrest because everybody has experienced revival? What would families talk about at the dinner table instead of fighting over at the dinner table? What kind of difference could individuals make in the lives of other people if only we would truly surrender our lives to Christ? I was reading this week from Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, and there's a great challenge that is offered to the people of Israel, but with that challenge also comes a promise. He says, consecrate yourselves. A part of this is being purified. Make sure that you live a pure and holy life. But a part of this is consecration is setting something apart as if belonging to someone else. Consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart as belonging to God. He says, consecrate yourselves for the Lord is about to do amazing things among you. I believe today that if our people, the people who are here in this room, would simply be consecrated and set apart for God, living a holy and pure life, that God would do amazing things among us, and not just here within the four walls of this church, but rather in this community. Imagine how this community could be changed if genuine revival took place in each of us. Well, Titus chapter 2 talks about specific behaviors that ought to change for those who are in Christ. And if you would, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles already there. Last week, I focused on 
specifically on men and husbands. Well, today our passage expands that, addressing both men and women. When we experience the Spirit of God in us, there are certain behaviors that ought to change. This will address both men and women, both young and old and everywhere in between. And before I get to the text, let me remind you just for a moment that Titus is not politically correct. If what I read offends you, that's on you. (laughs) This is not my opinion. This is what the scripture says, so I'm not allowed to change what it says. Look at it with me beginning in verse 2. Titus 2, beginning in verse 2, says this. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. I'm going to stop right there. I do confess that I actually find it a little bit humorous at how politically incorrect Paul is as he writes to Titus. He doesn't want to leave anybody out. If, if I can offend someone, I want to be an equal opportunity offender. And I think that that was kind of Paul's approach here. The first group to be addressed is old men. And most of you know who we're talking about. Some of you are not ready to admit it. But most of you know who you are as if you're really an old man. There are many words that could be used to describe old men in our culture today. Stubborn is one that has often been used. As one who is nearing old manhood, understand I am not there yet. I will confess that sometimes this is a very accurate description. Then you have those who are at this stage and they are broken. They are tired. Some have abused themselves throughout the years. Others have been abused by others. Many long for their younger days while participating in foolish and unhealthy behaviors. Many of our older individuals, specifically men, have become like Otis from the old Andy Griffith show. Someone who would never have been respected by others. Let me just tell you, my prayer is that I would never be an Otis, and I will never be an Otis. I will guarantee you that. But I will tell you that many have chosen that lifestyle. I'll tell you what, I would rather be a Bruce. Someone who loves the Lord, and even in the midst of horrible loss, found the opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in that hospital room yesterday 
sharing with even those who came in the room about God's redemption. I don't want to be an Otis. I want to be a Bruce. God desires that men would live worthy of respectability. There are various terms that are used here in this passage to identify what it means to live respectably, temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled. By the way, self-controlled will be echoed later in the passage as well. I have three simple questions for you. I'm not going to go deep into this because I think you understand this already. Who are the people that you have respected most in your life? What is it that has caused you to respect them? And who will respect you based on the way you live your life today? If you're going to be the man that God called you to be, you need to live in such a way that as others follow, they will see what it is to be a man of God. As he addresses men, he also addresses the need for spiritual maturity. He talks about being sound in faith and love and endurance. Too many men have lost their hunger for God above all else. There was a time that they were very passionate about God. They sought him. They were a great example to their kids. And I don't know if maybe we just get a little bit tired sometimes. Maybe sometimes we've gotten our eyes fixed on ourselves or the things that we've been through. Hebrews tells us that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then listen to this. It says, Consider him who endured such painful opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think some of us have grown weary because we stopped focusing on him and what he has done for us. And for whatever reason, we have lost the drive. I'm going to tell you, I need you to refind that drive again. <laughs> because the reality is, a younger generation will look to you to discover what it is to be a man of God. The next generation will only go as far as you will help lead them. Well, the next demographic to be addressed is older women. And I think if you look in your bulletin, I might have made a mistake. I think it just says old women. Well, nobody wants to be referred to as old women. It's okay to refer to men as old men, but I can't do that with women. So older women is the next one. I love the fact that Paul starts with the spiritual stuff with older women first. He calls them to be reverent. When we think of spiritual leaders in most churches, we think of individuals like Billy Graham or some other dynamic personality. Typically, in most churches, there is a male pastor. But the reality is, most spiritual leaders in homes and even in smaller churches are often our older ladies. Even look to this church as a great example. We had a lady named Martha Evett who for years we would have looked at and said, that is a woman of God, and if she doesn't do what she is supposed to do, this church is not here today. The reality is, women have an incredibly important role in the life of a church. 
They can preach, by the way. They can be missionaries, by the way. There are all kinds of roles that they play. Don't assume that because I'm a woman that I do not matter. The fact is, you matter just as much as the man does. God needs, he expects you as a child of God to live in such a way that you will be able to transform the world around you. But it begins with you making sure that you place God where he needs to be in your life. It's not about you being more talented than other people. It is about you seeking the Lord above all else. It is about you leading by example. And this leading by example is crucial. Similar to the instruction I gave to the old men there is another generation that is looking at you and they will only follow as far as you will lead them. Paul gives them some examples of the social maturity that should exist when older women live as they should. He talks about not slandering or talking bad about other people. He talks about, about not drinking much wine and teaching others well. Have you ever looked at the current generation and thought to yourself, where do they get this stuff? Looked at their brokenness and thought, where did we go wrong? I regret to inform you that many of them have gotten it from the previous generation. Sure, they may be pushing the envelope just a little bit, but the truth is some of us have let up in our faithfulness to God, and therefore the next generation is simply walking the same path that we have laid out for them already. I don't mean this as an insult or to be offensive to the body here, but know that the next generation will not walk that path of holiness, of reverence, of seeking the Lord if they don't see it in you first. We as the church need ladies who will stand up for Jesus Christ who will show them what it is to be a child of God. And it doesn't matter how old or young you may be. The expectation is there for you. There were two spies that went into the promised land and checked everything out and came back with a good report. Ten came back with a bad one. We're very familiar with Joshua. Joshua is the one who uh, would eventually end up leading the people of Israel after Moses is gone. But there was another guy too. His name was Caleb. Caleb, when it comes time to divide the land up among the Israelites, they are going in and they're taking possession of the promised land. They are finally seeing the promise fulfilled. Caleb goes to Joshua. Joshua's kind of the guy calling the shots at the time. And Caleb goes to him and he says, basically, there's still land to be taken. He said, I am 85 years old, though. And I am still as healthy and able to fight as I was when we came out of Egypt. Caleb wasn't going to allow his age to be an excuse to stop doing what he knew he ought to be doing. Your age is not an excuse to stop being the women, and I'll add even the men of God that you've been called to be. God expects it of you. I assure you that young women are watching you. And what lessons are they hopefully getting from you? 
The first thing that Paul says they should be getting is an understanding of what it means to be faithful or reliable within your home. We talked about it last week, but the husband also has this requirement upon himself. But it must be a two-way street. Start by loving your husband and your children. Don't treat your family as if it is an obligation or something that you're stuck with for the rest of your life. Realize that marriage and family is intended to be a privilege and a blessing. As Bruce and I talked yesterday, he celebrated that they had been married for 57 years. That ought to be a normal thing, but you know that it's not. Although there were difficulties, that was not a marriage of endurance, but fulfillment. We need to be faithful to one another within our marriages. We need to be faithful to our children, making them a priority, making sure that we give of ourselves simply because we love them, not because someone else is watching, not because we feel like we have to, but because we love them. And faithfulness within the marriage will show up in many ways. One very particular way is in Christian purity. Our passage is somewhat vague as to what that looks like. But we know that it involves self-control, making the family your first priority, being kind, and having a relationship with your husband. Again, if the next generation is going to have any chance of becoming this kind of people, having that kind of marriage, that kind of relationship, then they will need to see it in you as well. I know at this point we're talking about young women, so what are we talking about? We're talking about our children. Our children will determine what a healthy family should look like by what they see in us. When things don't go the way we expect, how do we respond? Do we become bitter? Do we become angry? Do we become ugly in spite of the fact that we say we love each other? Or do we take that as an opportunity to call upon the Lord together? Do we see families coming together and working together to find our way through those dark times rather than dividing and hoping we come back together on the other side? It is time for our young ladies to lead by example as their children watch. There's one last group that is addressed in our passage today, and it is our young men. I will say that this is one that I want to be able to uh, align most closely with, but I'm probably closer to the old men, and I get that 100%. The young men are called to, first of all, live with restraint, to be self-controlled. A part of this is recognizing that I don't have to give in to my every temptation, every desire. I wish I could tell you that you'll never be tempted because you're a Christian, that you'll never have to face Someone else trying to get you to do something that you know you probably ought not to do. I wish I could tell you that that's the way it works, but that's absolutely not the way it works. You see, we still live in a fallen world, and there will absolutely be temptations and things that we will struggle with, but know this, you do not have to give in to those temptations. You can live with self-control. In fact, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit that is given to those who are filled with the Spirit of God. Self-control is something that is available to every one of us. 
We do not have to give in to the temptations that are in front of us. As we live self-controlled lives, Christian integrity will be something that naturally flows out of that. Now, a lot of these overlap just a little bit because we're talking about Christian purity, Christian integrity. Truth is, they both go hand in hand. When you walk in purity, there is integrity that naturally flows out of that. When people look at you and they know that you're a man of God or a woman of God, they know they can trust you. At least they should be able to tell that. You see, they go hand in hand. In the passage, it says that in your teaching, you should show integrity, seriousness of thought. So as you speak, people ought to know that what you're saying, man, it makes sense. This is biblically sound. I think some of us are still caught up in acting like little kids. We have not put away our childish things. We're still trying to do the same things. We're far more interested in entertaining the world around us rather than leading the world around us. Paul is calling Titus to be a man who will lead, not just entertain. I know that Paul is talking to someone who would be a minister, one who would stand in the pulpit. But I wonder if there aren't those in the church who need to be reminded of this as well, not just the pastors. Maybe we've become so focused on being the class clown that we were when we were in high school. We've carried that on to the point that nobody would ever take us serious if we ever started talking about Jesus anyways. Maybe it's time for us to reveal what the Spirit of God living in our lives should look like. I'm not telling you you can't have fun. Please don't get me wrong. I think that for a long time the church gave this impression that, uh, that, that basically you had to be serious all the time. You can never smile. I think Jesus was one who laughed. He had a great time with his disciples. There were things that even as Jesus talks to some of the Pharisees and stuff afterwards, man, I think afterwards Jesus had a good laugh with his disciples. I'm sure sometimes they didn't laugh about it, but I picture, I don't know, even as a kid, Jesus, he was just like everybody else. He was fully human. Know that the Christian life is supposed to be fun. It really is. You should enjoy it, but there's got to be a time where you look back and you're able to stop and say, hey, but let me tell you what matters the most, where we begin to get serious and recognize what God has given to us. The last thing that we see here as a part of this Christian integrity is a call for us to have a reasoned faith. What we have is hopefully a doctrine that is based on our own walk with Christ. Hopefully for each of us, we have a relationship with Christ that is so well grounded that even when things go wrong, we are prepared and we can stand strong. My question for you today is, do you have a reasoned faith? For some of us, the reason for our faith is we wanted something and God gave it to us, and therefore that's all there is to it. What if God doesn't do things your way? I still have a reasoned faith that says God is in control and he's going to be there. He'll be faithful. I have a reasoned faith that says, logically, this is the best hope that any of us have as we walk through this world and then as we look forward to the world to come. There is no other place that we will find that kind of hope and peace and grace. Jesus Christ is our only way. I challenge you 
as men, young men, to live with a reasoned faith. You need to get to know what your faith is about. Get to know the Word of God. Get to know what He says. Get to know what He desires for you in your life. Again, the reason? There is another generation that will come behind you. And they will only go as far as you are willing to lead them. It's time for us to stop waiting for the next generation to rise up and allow this generation, the current generation, to be the men and women that God called us to be. I'm asking if you would to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we genuinely are grateful for your grace above everything else. We are grateful for those who have gone before us, who have led by example, who have shown us what it is to be men and women of God. But we also confess that at times maybe we have not fulfilled our obligation of leading for the next generation. Father, I pray for each man and woman in this room I pray that you would help us from this point forward to live in such a way that if our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, or whomever it may be, if they were to imitate our lives, may they also be imitating Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for moms today who are trying so hard to do everything that they're supposed to do. Father, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit and I pray that you would work in their lives and you would do something so great in them that their children would have to stop and take notice of what's taking place in them. Pray for fathers today who are so caught up in ourselves and wanting to do things to entertain sometimes or just being interested in taking care of our own needs. I pray that you would cause us to seek you above all else and that as we do, that we would develop a heart for those in our lives. May we lead by example, showing our children what it is to be a child of God. Father, I pray for families. I pray that you would use us to change this world around us. I'm not asking for one individual to experience revival. We will celebrate the one that does. But I pray today that families would be restored. Like the Philippian jailer who, the night of his salvation, his entire family was baptized. I pray today that families would be restored that we would truly be the people you called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tell you what, I got, I got kids that are watching you. Thank you for being willing to be the example for my kids. But I ask you, I challenge you, make sure you do it well. Be the man and the woman of God that you've been called to be and allow the Lord to work through that. I thank each of you for being with us this morning. Dave, thanks for being here as a part of our service. And Bruce, thank you for letting me use you as an example this morning. May each of you go in peace and come back next week if you can.